Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us for what we call the weekly update here on Fridays at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning, I am going to maintain our policy with all the news from Jerusalem, from Washington, and the entire world that we really should explore on this Friday morning. I'm going to maintain our policy that when we have incredible historic news, we're going to share it with our audience before we speak about anything else. A 7th century BCE clay seal reading belonging to Adoniyahu, the royal steward, was discovered in the city of David in Jerusalem three weeks ago by National Service volunteer Batya Ofan, who was sifting earth excavated from the foundations of the Western Wall under Robinson's Arch in 2013, meaning it was excavated back six years ago. Your reaction to this story? So this is another one of the almost daily uh, revelations of things that came out during the recent excavations uh, season, which is ending, or has ended. And this is a clay seal. But it doesn't just say, it, it says Adoniyahu, a name that appears, I think, three times in Tanakh. But it says also the royal steward, the same term used in regard to uh, Yosef as, uh, as the royal steward of, of uh, uh, Paro. And the inscription is considered very unique and significant. Um, it says uh, the words Asher al-Habayit, which is... Uh, the, the, the use for the highest level minister in the royal court. So th- this was another one, which I don't remember if we discussed it, said Natan Melech Ebed HaMelech, which was found there. And then that name, Natan Melech, is also in Malachim in, the, in Kings 2. This is a part of an ongoing revelation of our past. Again, I, I don't know how people aren't, so excited, and I try each week on another venue where we talk about uh, all these amazing uh, discoveries, and and people should talk Friday night at the table and talk to the kids and explain to them how important these findings are, because every one of them is consistent with Tanakh, with the Bible, every single one, and every one of them reveals our past at a time when people are trying to deny our past, that they find things in, in that go back, you know, two thousand years, three and more, go back to Bais Rishon, Bais Shani, the first and second temples, to which uh, only underscore our history, our claim to the land. And once you're secure in your past, you can be secure in your future. Yep, that says it all. That the past is such a key to being secure in the uh, future. So check it out, everybody. The story's everywhere. It's amazing. And yes, please try to share it with your children, grandchildren, all family members uh, tonight and uh, all through Shabbos. Uh, speaking of history, a little bit more recent, were you, were you there 26 years ago today on the White House lawn when the Oslo Accords were finalized? Yes, I was. W- would it be fair to ask, and I'm sure, I mean, the right answer probably is that it's very complicated, but, you know, th- there are people, many in this audience, who, who feel there was no positive that came out of it, would it require many, many hours of conversation between me and you to to analyze uh, uh, what the aftermath of that day, 26 years later, is all about? Uh, 
Well, it's very complicated. Um, I think, by and large, we've seen the the Palestinians have walked away from the just in the last week or so. Again, walked away from all of the commitments. Uh, Abbas said he no longer recognized the division into ABC um, of the uh, territories of the West Bank. Uh, those areas under Israeli control, uh, undesignated. Those areas under that remained under Palestinian uh, that were under um, Palestinian Authority control. Um, there, you know, we've had interim moves, including the God disengagement, other things. Each one of them is debatable. Right. You have to look at it in the context of what happened then and what has happened since. How what we learned from it that the there were, I think, benefits in terms in, internationally and Israel's acceptance in the region and other things that were advanced because of it. But there are also um, many questions that, that are raised. But hindsight. It's always a lot easier. Oh, no question about that. All right, what was it that uh, John Bolton and the President of the United States uh, uh, had issues with that caused his resignation? Probably just about everything. Um, This is something that uh, we sort of anticipated coming for quite a while. The reports from inside and people, and as you know, I'm very close to John Bolton. I think extremely highly of him. Uh, He's a great friend of ours, of our community of Israel. Uh, and was when he was at the UN and in other capacities. Uh, it's regrettable that uh, they, that they um, that it had to come to this. Uh, we'll see who who is going to replace him. But the um, but we should all be grateful for you know his service now and in the, and in the past. The um, you know what's uh, you funny know, it's clearly a difference in orientation that's more fundamental than any one specific thing. You know what's funny, and and again, you know, this is as an outsider, unlike yourself, who's more familiar with what's going on on the inside. To us, you know, to the casual observers, we thought it was a perfect match. <laughs> we thought that his policies and his politics really went well, uh, and and would uh, and and would gel well with with the current Trump administration. But I guess it just never worked out, huh? And there were differences, for instance, between Pompeo and and um, Bolton, and we saw him excluded. From recent events, where the National Security Advisor would normally be present, so it, it was something that emerged, and maybe it's his mustache. I don't know what, what <laughs> ended up being the the softer policy or the softer statements regarding Iran and and the Taliban. Frankly, that that had a lot to do with it, or that's just one little piece of the big puzzle. Yes, as I said, I think that there are specifics, specific issues, differences, but more. It seems also a border in terms of the, the orientation. Look what the president uh, and what or people are are leaking uh, about the administration's uh, stance. On the one hand, uh, tougher sanctions, but on the other hand, sending messages that they're prepared to talk. Even though Khamenei published an open letter to Rouhani, the president of Iran, saying you can't meet, and until all the sanctions are removed, we're not meeting. Um, we see rallies about and and. Uh, uh, other manifestations of, of hatred to the United States and Israel. In fact, they have five big billboards in Iraq, in Baghdad, put up by Iranian groups uh, that say death to America, death to Israel. Uh, but those are only uh, symbolic representations of what they're doing on the ground with their Shiite militia groups. Uh, they, uh, you know, they have welcomed 
have publicly um, the departure of what they call the warmongers, um, meaning Bolton, but saying hoping that others will go as well, yeah. and um, the statements by Soleimani and Khamenei and others, which is a little unusual. Uh, and the the, the the same time, they're escalating their support with the Houthis against uh, Saudi Arabia, against American interests. It's certainly some of concern to Israel. We see the increased activities that Israel is trying to address with their the eight warehouses, storehouses that they have hit, and including in Iraq, uh, that they are are shifting. Uh, the storage places for weapons, for uh, development of some of the missiles, etc., that were being hit in Syria. They moved them to Iraq, and Israel has shown that they have capacity to to do stuff there uh, as well. So the uh, Iran has shown really no sign. They're not cooperating with the International Atomic Energy Agency on the um, the place that was identified by Israel. They blamed the U.S. and Israel, saying this is a plot, rather than addressing the fact that um, that enriched uranium was, uh, particles were found on the site, and um, uh, and there are more undeclared sites that that we have yet to to find or to know about. You know, so yeah, sorry. sorry. Yeah. And, and and plus the uh, the the new Iranian nuclear site that Israel discovered. That's what I'm talking right. about. That's the, right. That, that, but, it, but, but it's only one. Right. And remember, you know, the material that uncovered a lot more stuff that we haven't uh, necessarily, that hasn't been pursued, and there, there are additional sites that are uh, considered potentially very dangerous. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to read the, the New York Times Magazine story about the potential strike on Iran, uh, which, by the way, really did, assuming it's a reliable article, really did show us who in the Obama administration had Israel's back and who didn't. Uh, but that's, I guess, for another discussion. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know, based on that article, I don't know if the Donald Trump of today would would cancel, would cancel make an attempt to cancel the deal with Iran. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it, it seems like there was a, a, uh, a an accelerated enthusiasm a year and a half ago or at the beginning of his administration to really, you know, eliminate the deal. I don't know today the way he's dealing or proposing the meetings with the head of Iran, possible negotiations with the Taliban, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if he is in the same mindset that if he was asked today to aggressively pursue the cancellation of that deal, that he would. Do you agree with that? Well, we have to look at what they're doing. And, in fact, the sanctions have been increased and continue to be increased. There were more applied to individuals, to leaders over the last week, um, which are, are very effective uh, in uh, deterring people. We know that uh, the internal situation is deteriorated uh, greatly, that uh, they, they've sustained the pressure uh, on an ongoing basis, and I think credit people in the Treasury Department elsewhere who have uh, worked on on the sanctions to continue it. it. Um, Pompeo said that they're ready for talks without precondition. Well, there should be preconditions to talks, and and the question really is how these actions are perceived. And I think that's often something that Americans, American leaders, don't. Um, really consider that people in Iran that we hear from, dissidents and others, you know, are very concerned about this because they see it as a flashback to a previous period. Do they see America just uh, selling out the the interest to get the talks going? Uh, And then there's no real 
in my mind, hope for any talks because the, the fundamentals are so uh, disparate and so uh, great. And you see it in the negotiations between Iran and the Europeans that they can't get anywhere on anything. We have them now on the ropes. The Europeans can promise all sorts of assistance. They can't deliver. It's only what the United States does. And and the um, and anything that undermines both the opposition and or diminishes it, and they believe that there isn't hope and that they don't feel support, we have to always reinforce it. Um, and I think that, that you know, and they took great strength from the, the sanctions and, and encouragement that the U.S. Uh, and the U.S. is still standing up to them in the Gulf and other areas. Um, but as I said, my concern primarily is the perception that is being created. Does it make the Europeans uh, back off of taking uh, a harder stand than they have in the negotiations if they believe the United States coming in, talking of the $15 billion aid package? I cannot see how that would happen, but there is talk about it. Hmm. Uh, you think he's uh, serious about Taliban negotiations? I mean, I think he was. I don't think he is because uh, of what they did, and he rightfully canceled it. But it was a surprise for everybody, I think, that it was going to take place. And there were a lot of Republican senators who have come out against it. And um, and he's seeking yeah. re-election. And, and his base, you know, we, we're, we've always been under the impression that his base is really hawkish, and his base would prefer if these types of statements aren't being made, but I don't know, maybe maybe he's not taking direction from anybody who's assigned to help with his re-election campaign. And also knows that if he is able to, to pull off uh, something where Iran would meet the conditions, meaning that they roll back um, their support for terrorist organizations and all the other things that they're doing, including the nuclear program and full um, clarity and remember they're under tremendous pressure from inside their economy is in free fall and the uh, so they have every reason to to want to make a deal to try to change their current uh, circumstances and and the US ambassador to the IEA International Atomic Energy Agency really gave a very strong statement about Iran's history of deception and we have to ensure their activities um, um, don't continue to distract the IEA, and um, but at the same time, to to um, say that we're open to negotiations, but they're saying that they want to resolve the issues, and I think the president believes that you know he is a super negotiator or whatever, and maybe views that not as a as a means to capitulate, but that it would be a way to show that that we went the extra step, and you see what we're dealing with. Is the U.S. committed to sending troops to northeast Syria? Uh, yes, about 150 troops, I think, are involved in that decision. Uh, what do you make of this story that Israel's being accused of leaving surveillance equipment at the White House? This is so outrageous, but indicative of a much broader problem, that here was a report, and those who were up yesterday morning would have heard the breathless reports on NPR and many other media outlets, uh, taking a political story, political publication, um, where they said that they had three unnamed former administration members, don't say which administration, that confirmed that devices found near the White House were, uh, were planted essentially by Israel. It is false. It is ludicrous. It is a, a libel. 
And now you saw that the president said he didn't believe it. Other people have come out and debunked the story. Netanyahu immediately called it an outrageous lie. But the rush of the media to buy it and to repeat it and to, without verifying the names, without finding out from, from officials, look, are there former members of the CIA, FBI, who have proven in the past to have anti-Semitic, anti-Israel tendencies? Yes. So could they be a source for something? Yes. Is there any evidence that this is true? No. And it's, it is just, to me, reconfirmation of the concerns that we've discussed about the media, about the mood today. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, on the web, at com, on the Nachum Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. The New York Times deleted a tweet that had said airplanes took aim at the Twin Towers of New York City's World Trade Center. It was a widely criticized headline, I guess. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I can imagine what you thought of what the Times did with that tweet. Yeah, um, but I'm no longer shocked by any of it. It's just the pattern is so big and, and consistent, and the the headlines, the the, the distortions, uh, and it's not just the New York Times, but the New York Times gets is the newspaper quote of record, though I'm not sure what that record is. And the the uh, I heard on um, the PRX and PR over the, over the last few days report one about a mushroom grower in the West Bank and a. a a long story about how his fertilizer was held up. Well, that fertilizer is used for, for um, explosives was, was probably the reason it was held up. Uh, eventually, he he got got it. Then he did it through some an Israeli Arab living in, in Israel, and he you know got the fertilizer and then gave it to him. But there were reasons for it. It, it tells you if you listen carefully the other side of the story about what. That they're the progress, the opportunities, but the constant condemnation and the portrayal of Israel, the, the story about a movie in Gaza, it, just unbelievable to see the the a complete one-sided uh, distortions about these young people who are going to the border peacefully, demonstrating the great march of return. When everything has been debunked, Hamas officials themselves have said it. They said it was never a march of return. It was never meant to, it was meant to be a war. It was meant to, you know, create violence, etc. And they put their young people up. They say, you know, that they're unarmed when they when the snipers are standing behind them and use the, them as human shields. I mean, nothing. And so there's no veracity. There's no standard of truth anymore. So when you see a headline, it's it's no longer impactful. You would have been outraged in old days, you would say, you know, and now when you have opportunities to verify quickly whether something is true, and you see it, you, you have to believe it's deliberate. Yeah. Uh, there's an election in Israel this week. It's hap- really? Yeah, it's happening on Tuesday, and um, we we all, I think it's safe to say that most observers have been getting this feeling over the last 10 days that, in fact, the polls would show could with some type of margin, right, as opposed to a tie, some type of margin over blue and white. Now, according to what I saw in Hamodia this morning, there's an article that says uh, if the election was today, could would have 36, blue and white would have 32. Now, I know what you always tell us, that you have no clue until Tuesday night what the reality is, and I understand that. But till this point, let's assume for a moment that these that this is an accurate poll, uh, to this point, you have to admire the prime minister because I thought it was the greatest risk to go to a second election. I thought it would cause 
many people because of the uh, you know discontent with the whole system to 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 leave him and to abandon him at this point, and just the opposite has happened. I think some people, and by the way, I, I met some Israelis this week who were visiting the United States, same thing. They're always voting for the smaller parties, whether it be politically smaller or religiously smaller parties, and this time around they're voting for Bibi. So, era of the election, I know, again, we won't know for sure till Tuesday night, but era of the election, you have to be impressed with the way he's handled this. So, number one, I don't think you'll know anything Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> I think you may not know anything Wednesday night. Hmm. I think that this will will take uh, longer unless there's some dramatic shift. I think things to watch for are the turnout, who turns out, and the numbers. I think people are sick and tired of this election and the fact that you had a second round in six months and uh, all of the scandals and every day the the reports of different things, how he, he sustained support at all, given the onslaught of, of criticisms, uh, Mr. Adelson and Ms. Adelson's comments most recently, but others uh, who are close to him and the, the constant uh, harping his visit with uh, Putin or his visit to um, Boris Johnson. You know, he shows himself to be the world leader. I think the other other candidates across the board really haven't made much of a showing, certainly not one that would reflect abroad in, in a significant way, but I hear it from the people in Israel as well, that the um, that I think it could be inconclusive again. I think that the numbers you cited are, are um, disputed by other polls, right. um, which range from blue and white being ahead to, to by two, three, four, to others that show that uh, or, um, we could ahead by the same numbers. Uh, so it's a big variance. question is how many people will Lieberman get, will uh, Otsma get, what will the right to do, will, they, will he successfully uh, win over those voters saying that it's only if you vote for Likud so that they can get the numbers necessary. Um, the so religious parties seem to be stable in the numbers in the polls uh, for some time. Uh, so it's a difference of one, two, three seats. That's it. And and a shift of that kind uh, could be decisive. And one of the options is that you end up with a unity government. Right. It could be a unity government without BB, with guns splitting blue and white and joining uh, Likud, maybe with the religious parties, maybe not. Um, so there are a lot of different potential uh, outcomes, but I think it'll be well into Wednesday before we really know. You'll see the exit polls, and uh, you know, but Israelis are notorious for telling the truth to pollsters and lying at the polls yeah. that, that they never seems to match up exactly, and especially when you're dealing with such a thin margin. Well, five minutes ago, I thought there'd be a right religious block. Now, now I'm a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more skeptical, but. I mean, if in fact, you know, if in fact the, if in fact that block does not work out, if there won't be 61 seats between the right and religious, it's going to be another stalemate. And I guess, right. as, as you just described, a stalemate in this case is much worse for BB than the stalemate earlier in the year. Yes. And given that he faces, you know, a lot of legal challenges coming up, right. that if there, you know, there could be a, a lot of different, um, formulations coming out of it, it would be, if if he would step down, then you'd have an internal fight within Likud also over who would succeed. But, you know, there are a lot of potential candidates to, 
to take over. And, but, you know, the truth is that nobody has the experience of Netanyahu. He's been there. The situation has been described as stable, and um, the economy has been strong. Everybody recognizes the, the security challenges are great. So it, it'll be 10. Will people go for stability, for more of the same, for or have they been inspired by somebody else, which doesn't appear from perspective of sitting here uh, has been the case. It's funny, the few people I speak to who have always gone to smaller parties, again, whether political or religious, they're all they're all telling me that this time around they're going to vote for Yes, him. I think that message in Netanyahu has been successful in, in getting out, but... Um, you know, I but many people who who told me that they voted for Likud last time indicated that they're not voting that way, mm-hmm. and, and it depends on the youth vote. The last time, a lot of the young people voted whose parents did not vote Likud voted for Likud. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's anecdotal, but it's mm-hmm. not, but it's it pretty representative, I think. Uh, I'm not sure this time. So again, you have to look at the turnout. How many seats Lieberman gets? Do people at the last minute switch back and say we're going to support Lee Could? He could end up surprising everybody and come in with a bigger number. And look what he's been doing. The prime minister recently visited Chevron. He's annexing the Jordan Valley. He's uh, you know saying all the right things. He, to... he did not annex the Jordan. Well, Valley he's, he's talking I'm... about a promise to do it. You know during his next no, administration. No, but can I? I just want to say that people again because the words here are very important. The headlines all said that he was going to annex it. He never used the word in his statement. Mm. He talked about applying sovereignty. It's not really as dramatic an announcement um, because everybody agrees that the settlement blocks are going to remain across the board, in the international community, everybody, and that there will be a land swap. Uh, Israeli law applies there. So he really what they're talking about is applying sovereignty Israeli sovereignty, i.e. Israeli law, legal system stuff, which which applies already. The, he introduced the issue of the Jordan Valley, which people should go and look at a map. Yigal Alon, um, um, when he came up with the Alon plan, he was the deputy prime minister after the Six-Day War, um, and the Alon plan, which was accepted by Rabin and everyone, and uh, they all said the West Bank has to stay. All the parties that I know have said the West, the, not the West Bank, the um, the Jordan Valley has to stay with Israel no matter what, because it was at first seen as the buffer against Saddam Hussein and Iraq crossing from Jordan, as they did during the Six-Day War, and, and hitting Israel from, from that side. And now it's Iran that is in Iraq and would love to penetrate and, and come across and have Israel from Gaza from again, with Hamas, with Hezbollah against them from Lebanon and Syria, and then from uh, uh, the East Bank as well. Uh, so that, that is a, a consensus issue, I think, for much of the uh, almost all of the political um, uh, parties. Of course, the condemnations uh, reigned in from a lot of Arab countries and others. What did the U.S. say, by the way? Um, no, the United States did not. Uh, I don't think that they criticized um, um, the, the action, but it, it, Netanyahu said that he had cleared it and that it was consistent with the plan that will be announced. Um, nobody knows because we haven't seen it, but he obviously has some idea of what's in it. Uh, so, again, but the the people use the word annexation in the media because it has real implications. It's as if they're going in there, grabbing the land, and taking it away. Right. That is not um, 
what what was uh, what the prime minister said, and it is not as dramatic a change or whatever. And it, clearly, it was done in the context of you know the political campaign and meant to send a message uh, not only to the people who live in the uh, Jordan Valley, which is not that big a number, but to the their, their supporters. Uh, he made sure to mention this week that war in Gaza is inevitable. He uh, he was in Ashkelon and a red alert sounded. I'm not suggesting that that was orchestrated, but but if you were writing a script for the security prime it minister, it hurt him. Uh, it you think so? His image was damaged badly. The idea that uh, while he's giving this publicized and covered uh, visit and media covered, you know, the security guards came in, whisk him off, show him going into the. Um, into you know having to go into a cellar for a few minutes and then going back and continuing the speech, it, it did not benefit him. Mm, interesting. Uh, the statements he made when he got back on stage, I thought were pretty effective. He, he, yes, but the, it, it you know imagery today right. is yeah, everything. Um, we were. We were under the impression that once Jason Greenblatt announced his resignation, um, not just under the impression, I think that there was actually a story this week that the day after the election, the peace plan would be uh, revealed. Um, Now it seems that that might be delayed, right? Well, I don't know if it'll be the day after. Um, First, because we don't know what the outcome of the election will have been yet. I think I really really did read somewhere there was a day. But some period shortly after the elections, we're likely to see it. And he may stick around now, he's indicating. Until- and rem- I'm sorry, and remember that you have the U.N. session coming up uh, with a lot of the leaders, including Netanyahu, talking of coming for a day. Uh, but I guess that will be impacted by the outcome of the election. Um, uh, sorry, what did you say? Just- is that Rosh Hashanah week or not? Is that, or is that- no, no, week before. This time, thank God we were spared. Yeah. We have many meetings with heads of state uh, this year because last year we only had two days. This year we have the whole week. So we have uh, many meetings set up with uh, visiting um, presidents and foreign ministers and heads of state of all kinds. Um, so it's a very valuable, important week for us in terms of advancing the issues and uh, meeting and getting firsthand uh, indications of where uh, where the players stand on this and the issues. Will his appearance or the possibility of him uh, speaking to the General Assembly depend on what happens in the election? I think so. I think if it's undecided that that and he needs to be there to negotiate, but I think he wants to come. I think he wants the platform. Um, otherwise, it would be the foreign minister Katz who would come, uh, which would relegate Israel's presence to uh, to much lesser status uh, because first prime ministers, presidents, etc., speak. And also, he has used that platform very effectively in years past. If you remember the bomb oh, yeah. and the Roadrunner and all the other things that uh, uh, he has done there, using uh, you know cartoons or other dem- demonstrative aids, right. um, or, Der- or Derek Jeter references, hmm? or Derek Jeter references, which he would use once. I don't know if you remember that. No. <laughs> yeah, he actually did. <laughs> if you search Derek Jeter in his speech at the U.N., you'll see a uh, a reference that he made. Um, th- does the president of Israel know what he's in for in the aftermath of Tuesday? <laughs> like, it's not going to be easy, this whole procedure after the election's over. Well, he celebrated his 80th birthday this week, so wow. everybody can say, I wish him a happy birthday. But, uh, I mean, I think he knows, you know, his relationship with Netanyahu is not good. Yeah. Uh, I think he wouldn't be unhappy if it isn't him. But you know he's bound by uh, by the, what the parties say, and uh, the labor bloc um, said that they would urge blue and white be consulted first. 
you know, they have to be able to present whether the president has to go to every party and they ask who would you support. And if he sees who has the best chance of getting to 61, that's the party. Even if they don't have the most seats, they have, that's the party they have to go to. You know, it's funny as as we, you know, as we're talking, I'm perusing about 10 different news sources on the Jordan Valley thing, just out of curiosity. All of them have the word annexation yeah, in their exactly. headline. All of them. And go and look at his statement, and you see he does not use the term. And, you know, what's really interesting is that there were other stories which get zero coverage. One about the Arabs in high-tech, Israeli Arabs, has gone up 20 times in the in the past 10 years, meaning that there were like 350 men in, in high-tech. Now there are six, almost 7,000 men and women. 700 Arab engineers are added every year to Israeli high-tech, and a quarter of them are, are, are women. That you don't see that the Palestinians in Lebanon are demonstrating against the EU, Canada, against the PA, because they say, you know, look at all the other refugees in the world are given a chance to, to be resettled, because they're, they're taken care of by the UN High Commissioner on Refugees, and they settle tens of thousands of people every year in third countries, etc. The Palestinians are handled by UNRWA, which is one of the most corrupt agencies anywhere, and as you know, and not one person has been resettled in 70 years, because they keep them as political pawns. And these people are saying, and you know, when, when the, the Palestinians in Syria were under siege in the camps, and, uh, and Abbas said they can't come here. They wanted to bring him to the West Bank, and Israel gave permission for them to go to the PA areas. And he said, no, the right of return is only to Israel. And yet this, you know, the positive stories, what, what is happening, gets no message. You know, that the middle class in, in, in Gaza is, are, are leaving, doctors, others, because they can't live under the regime, and, and, they, and they tell the truth about, you know, what's really uh, happening there. Are they able to leave? A number, 300, I think, a month, but about 30,000 leave during the summer to go abroad, and many of them just don't return. Right. Yeah, I hear that. And at the same time, Israel just retained its A-plus rating from Fitch and uh, and said that Israel has an annual surplus every year since 2003. And, uh, and I saw the exports were up, I think, 3% in the first half of the year which is remarkable. It's about $55 billion, maybe a little bit more. If there's a new prime minister, is there any reason to believe that Israel cannot maintain this incredible diplomatic stature that it has right now and uh, be still the attractive uh, uh, both uh, financial investment area and high-tech area? Is there any reason to believe that that, that other, other Israeli leaders cannot maintain what Netanyahu has overseen? Well, you have to credit him when he was Minister of Finance for laying some of the groundwork, uh, and there's two different issues. On the high-tech, the infrastructure is there for it to continue. It needs a climate that's conducive to it that and leadership that uh, understands the needs of the companies and how we attract more support. Um, but I think that most are committed to it. The um, in terms of international stature, no, because the people who don't have the contacts and the ties, it takes time to develop, develop a relationship of confidence. Um, I think that President Trump would, would um, you know, of course, will sustain the, the relationship, but he feels, I think, very close. And I know that people have told me that uh, there's concern in the White House about the outcome. It will not affect the U.S.-Israel relationship overall, which is solid and secure and you know, whoever the leader is, that will be the person who will deal with the president and with the Congress. Um, you know, there are many, unfortunately, in Congress for, uh, on the extremes who, who would like to see Netanyahu out um, and, uh, you know, would take glee in that. But 
overall, the U.S. Israel relationship is not built on individuals. It's built on fundamentals, con- uh, joint interests, concerns, etc. And let's hope that continues. Thank you very much, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll yeah, speak again Shabbos. next week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.